0: I had uh, a woman write to me uh, a couple months ago, and uh, she said, Mark, my name is Michelle, name redacted. I live in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I just wanted to let you know, I just read your book. I saw your book sitting on my husband's nightstand, and I asked him what it was about, and he kind of uh, dodged the question <laughs> she said he was a little embarrassed to, to tell her what he was reading about so she said she read it and she said i just want you to know that my husband and i have sat down and we've decided to raise our children differently based on a number of the observations that you make in the book welcome to a conversation with john philpin Each week, John cuts through the noise and fills your ears with interviews, stories, and most importantly, clarity. Clarity in our ever changing and shifting world to put people first. Over
1: to you, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are on this planet of ours. There's another book you've written, which I also want to come around to, because I, I find this one absolutely brilliant and fascinating um, and so needed. Uh, I'm going to put a link in because this one is out and is available and can be bought. Um, so so talk to us a little about that. And, and, and listeners, this what you're about to hear is nothing to do in many ways to what you've just been hearing. Quite fascinating. So Mark, tell us a little bit about uh, this other book.
0: Sure, my uh, my first book is uh, titled "Conquering the Boundaries of Friendship," and uh, I uh, focus on the boundaries of friendship that uh, that men encounter in making and maintaining meaningful relationships with, with other men. And uh, the genesis of the book uh, started about fifteen years ago. Uh, John knows this, but for for the listeners. My best friend is 27 years my junior, and uh, it was interesting because I mentioned to one of my contemporaries that my best friend was at, at the time. Uh, well, he's always going to be 27 years my junior. Um, I was I was 48, and uh, he was 21. And one of my contemporaries said, "Well, be careful, watch out, be careful." Why? Well, what does he want? Well. I don't know that he wants anything. We're just, we're friends. Well, be careful because he's probably going to want money or he's going to try to take advantage of you in, in some way. And I thought, well, that's, that's curious because I've never felt that. So I I asked Ben, my best friend um, and he laughed and he said, well, uh, I was helping him at his home, lay some concrete. They were, laying a, uh, a little patio in back of his, he and his wife's house. And, uh, some of his contemporaries were there and several of his contemporaries said, Ben, what the hell are you doing with this old guy? He's, he's as old as your dad. And Ben said, he's a smart guy and he and I are friends. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, well, be careful. What does he want from you? <laughs> and Ben was like, what, what What do you mean, what does he want? Well, Ben was getting the same thing. So uh, we started talking about the age difference as as a potential barrier for, for people. And then uh, because I've done a lot of work globally, I started having discussions with a number of folks from, from other cultures. And uh, one observation that I made was that men are at a disadvantage when it comes to forming relationships with other men, because as boys, universally, men are taught to suppress our emotions and to avoid being vulnerable at all costs. We're taught to be winners and warriors. We are told to to win, to go out there and fight. And uh, so I spent a year collecting interviews with um, over 200 men from dozens of countries around the world. And it was interesting because uh i I seeded uh, the the interview question one time by saying, uh, well, as an American, you know I was told uh well, there's no crying in football, so if you get a a bad call from an umpire or something of that nature and and one of the men that I interviewed from um, actually from Bangladesh said, Oh my God, no, no no, there's no uh there's no crying in cricket <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean to deem? And he said, Oh, you know, if you, if you get a bad call from umpire, you don't, you don't cry about it. And uh, I spoke with some uh, men of Japanese descent. Well, similarly, there's no crying in soccer, walk it off. If you, you know, if you get kicked or if you happen to reach out with your hand and, you know, get penalized or whatever. And, uh, so I, it was, it was humor, humorous, but, um, That uh, these boundaries, cultural and societal boundaries, exist everywhere. And uh, really, my focus was on the the male population that deeply longed for friendships, yet couldn't find it, or more importantly, were facing these boundaries and weren't willing or able to, to conquer the boundaries. So I cover socioeconomic differences. Uh, matter of fact, there's one story that I tell in the book about uh, a, a man who's uh, a sailor and belongs to a yacht club up in the the Boston, Massachusetts area, and um, so fairly well-to-do. And um, he um, had some rigging on his boat that needed to uh, to be adjusted, and the maintenance man at his uh, at his uh, yacht club, helped him uh, work on the rigging. So this gentleman said, hey, Jack, let's let's grab a beer. Well, the, the maintenance man looked at him horrified and said, I can't, I can't drink in the club. And the man said, what do you mean you can't drink in the club? You're going to be my guest. And he said, no, it's strictly against the rules. So they went to a pub around the corner well, the the Commodore of the club, of the yacht club, saw them there. And the next day, the man who was the member was called by the Commodore, uh, reminding him about the no fraternization policy. And he said, well, what the hell are you talking about? This is Jack's a friend of mine. He helped me with my boat. Well, you can't do that. And uh, the man was like, you, you can't tell me who I can and can't be friends with. So he ended up resigning his membership at that yacht club. Uh, and uh, many men that I interviewed had similar experiences with, uh, particularly in academics, where, uh, oh, I can't be friends with the, uh, the department chairman. Uh, all of my peers will think I'm sucking up or trying to go for more grant money or, or whatever it happens to be. And, and similarly with friendships between clients, And service providers, uh, that you know, there's all all types of appearances there that have to be overcome, or obstacles that have to be overcome. And yet, I have an incredible number of very heartening stories. Of uh, uh, and I, I cannot tell you, John, how grateful I am to the over 200 men who who literally poured their hearts out to me and told me some incredible stories. I had one man. Who I'm reminded of, whose wife had committed suicide. And uh, his, his uh, stepson and he were now left in the home. And uh, it was awkward at best, he said, because uh, many people were saying, Well, how the hell could you let her commit suicide? What, didn't she know? Couldn't she see any signs? And neither he nor the son saw any signs that his wife was, was going to commit suicide. And uh, yet, uh, one of his uh, one of his soon to be friends, uh, a gentleman from work, showed up at their doorstep one evening with a, a six pack of root beer, a six pack of beer, and a pizza. And uh, the the man opened the door, and, and he said, uh, "What what's what are you doing?" And he said, "Just sh- shut up and open the door. Let me in. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a pizza party." <laughs> And uh, he said it was just exactly what they needed was a little normalcy in their life and not questioning and guilt over why didn't I see what was happening with my wife and why didn't her son see it and, you know, all of the, all of the finger pointing and tongues wagging and, and things of that nature. And I've got a number of, uh, of examples of that nature. And then kind of back to the academics, I, uh, I interviewed one man who I, I won't name, uh, he or the university that he worked for, but uh, he uh, had a friend in uh, who they were basically competitive with each other because they were competing for the same type of grant dollars. And uh, this man uh, saw him in the hallway one day and said, uh, "What's what's wrong?" And uh, the other man said, uh, "Well, what do you mean?" He said you look like you're going to cry. And, uh, he did start to cry. He actually broke down and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm so lonely. I don't have any friends. Uh, I feel like I'm really isolated here. It's I'm just a grant writing machine. And so, uh, he, uh, he and the man who confronted him started talking about, well, the other man felt the same way. So it was really a a toxic environment at the university. So they started asking some of the other grad students and some of the other professors in that department, well, guess what? 95% of them felt the same way, that it was really a toxic environment. So they started a, a support group for not just men, but for anybody in the department who felt like they needed some additional support or some outreach or some camaraderie, and they turned that into a recruiting uh, benefit. And uh, they started advertising to to grad students. Many of the grad student students that were in their laboratories were postdoctoral fellows, so they had already gotten their PhDs from other universities. And part of the reason that they chose to go to that university for their postdoctoral um, degrees, was the fact that they had this support group that was formalized. And uh, so they, they turn, you know, what, what's the expression turn a sow's ear into a, a silk purse.
1: There are, there are many such expressions around the world, but you're absolutely right. So, so did you, <laughs> yes. It, it, I mean, I, I, some of the, some of the stories you've talked about, I, I can understand, right. So this idea of no fraternization with you know providers, right. suppliers, vendors, it, it kind of makes sense and you you have to draw the line somewhere and I, I kind of get it. Right. Uh, there are others like the, you know, there's the no fashionization with stuff in a yacht club. It's like, well, it's, I reminded of the Groucho Marx um quote, you know, dear club, Um, you allowed me into a member. I resign because I don't want to belong to a club where I'm allowed to be a member.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Um, it, 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 it's fascinating. Did you, um, on the way through, so I just, I, ever since we first talked about this, I've sort of gone through in my mind, you know, the friends I have all over the world and it, it ta- I, I kind of get to meet people real quick. I get to know somebody and and I'm very quick actually on judgment of somebody. Um, right. but I'm very slow on getting them to be part of me as a friendship. And I think, Partly that's my upbringing. I was an army brat and every year was a different school. So you kind of sure. learn how to get to go to friends, but you don't expose yourself until, you know, a, a little bit longer. And I, I think that's sort of lived with me over the years. There are interesting comparisons between men and women um, about, you know, so sort of the guy that goes down to the pub to meet his friend for three hours and they drink and they come back. So how's the wife? I don't know. We know she's got cancer. Right. Has she? What do you talk about for three hours, right? <laughs> so right, there is right. this thing that we as men um, don't necessarily talk about the deep things. Do you think that is, again, part of our conditioning? Or is it that we actually have other interests and ways of engaging? Does that, does that make sense? Is there, are we, are we, in other words, are, does. Is, our, is, our, is our female way of engaging with people knocked out of us, kind of like you were saying earlier on?
0: Well, I think I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, it's certainly in my research and in my interviews, uh, both have uh, have exposed themselves and have been elucidated uh, through the interviews. And again, with a sample of 200 men globally, it certainly isn't uh, you know isn't conclusive. The the cohort uh, isn't homogenous by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I, I will tell you, it's it's been an incredibly uh, I'm getting overwhelmed here. It's been in, incredibly gratifying. I, uh, I have several calls to action in the book, some challenges that I issue. And I have, a, I have an email address that is specific for the book that's printed in the book. And uh, I've done a number of calls to action. And I, I had uh, a woman write to me uh, a couple months ago. And uh, she said, Mark, my name is Michelle. Name redacted. I live in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I just wanted to let you know. I just read your book. I saw your book sitting on my husband's nightstand, and I asked him what it was about, and he kind of uh, dodged the question. <laughs> she said he was a little embarrassed to to tell her what he was reading about, so she said she read it, and she said I just want you to know that my husband and I have sat down. We've decided to raise our children differently based on a number of the observations that you make in the book, because we realize that a lot of the subtle messages that you talk about that men receive when they're uh, when they're growing up, uh, we're not clear that we want our sons or our daughters receiving and growing up with the messages that we're leaving them. And uh, she recounted a a story of her uh, seven-year-old, uh, seven-year-old daughter, who is uh, standing in front of a full-length mirror and twirling around and going, "Oh my God, I'm so fat! I'm so fat! Look at my big butt!" And um, she said, uh, "You know that that she wouldn't necessarily have been conditioned to that had she not read the book," and her husband immediately talked about their son uh, because their, their son had, uh, had tried out for a, uh, you know, a peewee, a, a young boy's, uh, uh, football team. And that, uh, some of the fathers were yelling along the sidelines and, you know, yelling at their kids and berating their kids and berating the coaches and things. And she said, for God's sake, it's a peewee football game, right? This isn't life and death. Uh, but that's so gratifying to me, John, that, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it's, it's really struck with, with people. And it's, uh, it's struck a nerve. And it's interesting because, uh, my editor, uh, one of my editors was a, was a woman and she said, why did you write it about men and making men's friendships? And I said, well, first of all, I am a man <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's something, something that I'm I can relate qualified. to. <laughs> and I'm kind of qualified. Right. And I'm, I'm not qualified to really comment on, uh, women's ways of making friendships and the boundaries that they have have to cross. But she had an interesting idea and I've uh, actually found a, a, a female author, nonfiction author, and uh, she and I may write a female version of the book at some point in the future, yeah. uh, because yeah. she said that a number of the boundaries that we cross as men, she sees uh analogs in the, in the women's uh, world, uh, the the world of females. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I mean, to to directly address your question, I think, I think some of these things get beaten out of us as boys to not expose ourselves and not to be vulnerable and uh, to not, uh, you know, to not show weakness. Uh, And I, I recount a story in the book of my, my uncle Jack, who was a, was a tough, uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, he was, uh, worked in a steel mill on a, on a rolling mill. And he had two sons, Jackie and Vince. And, uh, you know, my uncle Jack, uh, I remember the, the four of us, my uncle Jack, myself, and his two sons, we were driving back from ice cream or something. And, uh, my, my cousin Jackie was, uh, kind of whining because a girl that he liked uh, didn't want to go to a dance with him. And when we got home, my uncle Jack's uh, idea was uh, bare knuckles boxing in the backyard. (laughs) That's the way, that's the way uh, men toughen up and stop crying, Jackie, stop whining. You know, it's just a girl. Don't worry about it. There's uh, plenty of fish in the ocean. And um, so, you know, there we were the, the three of us and, and, uh Vince was uh older than Jackie and you know I I intervened and got slugged in the stomach um and you know it's just so there there are a lot of things of that nature that and it's not just my experience I have a number of others but I, I do I, I do have one uh call to action in the book and it's something that I do on an annual basis and it's a, it's a little difficult at first uh, because it feels a little forced, but I do what I call a friendship audit. And I like to do a friendship audit face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And I sit down and I'll say, okay, John, um, how can I be a better friend to you this coming year? And where do you think I was I was good in supporting you? And where do you think I, I could support you better in future? And uh, it's, it's amazing what comes out of that because... Uh, yeah. One of, one of my friends, I, I did a friendship audit with him, and um, he said, uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. What's that? He said, uh, you know, because of my photography background, I think I, I've i got like 100,000 photographs on Amazon and on Google Drive. And, well, those have those, uh, you know, this day 10 years ago. The photos pop up, and I'll say, hey, remember this when we went sailing and, and whatever? And uh, he said, uh, I would appreciate it if you don't send me as many of those. And I said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I said, what, why? And he said, uh, because I find them distracting. And he said, you, you literally have derailed me for an entire day where I've uh, sat back and I've looked at the photograph and remembered what a good time we had, but then I lose concentration on, on what I'm working on. So, uh, and I said, Oh my God, I'm, I'm horribly sorry. I had no idea. Well, if we hadn't done the friendship audit and, and him, first of all, being honest with me, because he knows I love sending those types of things. Mm -hmm. And I love walking down memory lane. Like, like most people do. Uh, so uh, he said, uh, he sent me a, a text about uh, a month after our friendship audit and said, I, I miss you sending those to me. He said, I, I'll tell you what would be great if you could save them up for like a month or just hold them and send them all to me at, at one point in time, you know, like batch. the first of the month. <laughs> send them to me as a batch. That way I won't get distracted. Uh, I love but it. you know, it was one of those things where I I had absolutely no idea. Um, and I have another friend who is, uh, you know, who who doesn't like to have candid photographs taken of him. He likes to do the posed selfies or you know in perfect form and smile and hair not mussed up and and things of that nature. And uh, he just he asked me one time. He said, "You know, I, I would appreciate if you don't take unposed fi- pictures of me because I hate looking at myself that way." Uh, so out of respect, I don't I don't take candid photographs of him any longer uh, because uh, you know it's I respect him
1: and sure no absolutely. So so wait in in your mind. So you know the name Robin Dunbar. Yes. So yeah, so so Dunbar has this idea of you know there are only so many relationships we can actually hold and his number sits somewhere in the 130 to 160, depending on what day of the week is, as far as I can work out. But there is in my experience, right. there's no doubt there's there's you know, when people have thousands and thousands of friends on Facebook, they aren't friends because you just have to divide no. how many hours in the day to how many friends there are to know that that's not happening. But when you talk right. about a friend, I mean, I've, I've got friends all over the world that I might not talk to for years and then come back to They're in my mind friends, but I wouldn't look to do a friend audit with those people. So what's the number no. of friends a, 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 a person could, could typically have would you in your mind is, do you have something like that in your head?
0: The number that I came up with. Interesting that you ask that, because that was one of the questions in my in my interview, uh, in my interview questioning. Mm-hmm. And the number that I came up with is seven. Seven. That you can have seven good friends that you can be yourself with, that they can be themselves with you. You can yeah. be vulnerable, and you won't use anything that they tell you against them or. Vice yep. versa. I mean, by definition, if you're a, you're a good friend yep. uh, and beyond that, they're, they're not necessarily good friends. They're, they're probably acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to your point, I, you know, I have thousands of acquaintances who I may not see for five years. Right. And when we when we chat next, I'll remember. Oh, you you know you made a you made a career change or job change or you got remarried or, or something of that nature. So we'll we'll have a uh, you know we'll have a, uh, a thread to pick up on. Uh, but the the number for most men was somewhere between five and seven, and um, it was it was surprising to me. How many men that I that I interviewed, when I asked them what their what their best friend was like, how many men told me they didn't have a best friend, mm-hmm. or they had uh, they had lost their best friend because. Uh, and actually, uh, there's uh, one gentleman who's a surgeon, who uh, is a neurosurgeon, and he said, um, "Well, I had a best friend when we were in medical school." And I said uh, during the interview, he says, Well, what the hell happened? He said, Life happened. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I chuckled, Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. And I said, Life happened. And he said, Yeah. He said, uh, He got married. He moved uh, to a different uh, hospital facility. And then uh, I went for, uh, for postdoctoral work and a, for a fellowship. And I moved. And then I got married. And he started having kids. And then you know, so he said, we just, we lost contact. So I challenged him. I said, do you, do you have your friend's uh, cell phone number, mobile number? And he said, well, I have a number that we had like 10 years ago. And I said, well, then tonight or tomorrow, when you uh, feel you've got time, call it and just tell him that you you've been thinking about him. And he laughed and he said, you're serious, aren't you? And I said, I am serious. And I said, "It's just a little experiment, you know. If if you make contact, let me know." So the the next day, I saw my cell phone ring, and it was the the doctor, the neurosurgeon, and he was in tears. And I said, "What what's up?" He said, um, "I I called my my best friend last night, and he couldn't believe that I was thinking about him, and reached out." to contact him. So, uh, we've set up a phone call. We're actually going to do a zoom this coming Friday. Uh, so we can, we can really reconnect. And, uh, the doctor called me back about two weeks later and said, I just want to give you another bit of an update. And I said, what's that? He said, it was like no time had passed. He said it was like we were back in medical school together yep. and, uh, We've now talked and I've talked to my wife and he's talked to his wife and we think we're going to try to get the families together um, so we can, you know, so everybody can meet. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Now, I haven't Mm -hmm. followed up with him. That was uh, that was two years ago in 2018 when I was uh, when I was writing the book. Uh, But he's been on my mind to uh, to send an email and just say, hey, curious. You know how things are. How things are going.
1: Well, Mark, I, I have a challenge for you. I think tonight it should not be an email. What you should do is pick up your phone and call him. <laughs> Take some of your own medicine.
0: <laughs> I will. Uh, I will probably do that. Uh, although, with him being a neurosurgeon, of course, you know what I shouldn't filter, right? No, I should just go ahead not. and ring. And yeah. uh, if he picks up, great. And if he doesn't. And, and and that's another lesson. That's another lesson that I have in the, in the book actually from practically every man said, um, that they, they self criticize and they self audit and they self filter. And so, you know, I'm, I'm respectful of uh, surgeons, particularly neurosurgeons, because you know, they have a lot of 5.00 AM, uh, surgical calls and and things of that Mm -hmm. nature. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, It's only 20 after seven. Uh, so, uh, the day is young. If he, if he can, if he can pick up great. And if he can't pick up, I'm sure he won't, or he's already set his phone to do not disturb. And, uh, no, John, I will, uh, I will do that. I'll, uh, I'll let you know what, uh,
1: I was going to say, you then need to report back. But, Mark, this has been absolutely fascinating. As I've been listening to you talk, this whole section is going to become a podcast all by itself, let alone the things we were talking <laughs> about before that. It really is. It fits in so well with what I always call things whether the people-thirsty in nature. This is a massive people-thirsty in nature topic in my mind. And uh, I've got other friends around the world that sort of uh, wrestle with this. I know they do. Um and uh, I think there'll be a lot of people really interested in this, this particular section. So I'm going to bring this to a close now because we've been chatting for a long time. I'm conscious it's getting a little bit later for you now. But uh, I just want to thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely, John.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I appreciate your support. And um, like I said, please send me your snail mail so I can uh, drop a copy of the book in the mail to you.
1: Um. I, I will I will absolutely do that. But uh, thank, thank you so very much. And we're going to bring the podcast to an end and say goodbye to Mark and uh, talk to you on the next time.
0: We look forward to you joining us next time. And if you found this interesting, please do share the podcast. All the links referenced today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate in connecting directly with John Philpin. Stay safe and stay well.